Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac, who is in the house with Mr. John Baldoni. John, who is an internationally recognized leadership consultant, he's a coach, he's a speaker, he's the author of, get this, 15 books, and they're translated in 10 different languages, all in and around the space of leadership, we'll get into that. As a result, as you can imagine, John is a much-in-demand global presenter and keynote speaker and has been for the better part of three-plus decades. He's also a member of the renowned Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Group, which is a posse of executive coaches and thought leaders from around the world of business, academia, and social service. Not only that, he's a really sought-after communications consultant and executive coach where he's had the privilege of working with senior leaders in virtually every industry you can imagine, from pharmaceuticals to real estate, packaged goods, automobiles, finance to healthcare. John's coaching helps managers to achieve positive results by focusing on, as you would expect, communication, influence, motivation, supervision. He specializes in leadership presence, which he defines as demonstrating earned authority. Can't wait to get into that with you, John. His client list ranges from Fortune 10 companies to nonprofits. He's won a gazillion awards and distinctions. John, it is so good of you to be here on the program today. Thank you. I want to first take us back uh, just about a decade or so. I have been so influenced by uh, your writing, uh, your 15 books. Uh, in particular, however, I want to start with Lead with Purpose, uh, giving your organization a reason to believe in itself. Now, that book was published roughly about a decade ago, so I wanted to actually start our conversation on purpose, about purpose. I wonder, what's your take, you know, having studied and researched purpose, on what's going on with purpose these days here in the year 2022? That's a really good question. And I think the question, and first of all, Dan, thank you very much for that kind introduction. I appreciate being on your show. I am a fan of your work. And I consider you a thought leader of influence. So it's my privilege to be with you today. So um, purpose is, to my way of thinking, is our lodestone. As many have said, it's our why. And as a result, it creates our, uh, our vision, our mission, and our values. I think that the sense of purpose has become reinvigorated during, during our pandemic. The reason is, is we spend a lot of alone time or isolation time apart from things. So people go ask themselves, hey, what's it all about? You know, and so they anchored themselves in what purpose is. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, <clears throat> I do have a little a nominal assessment about discovering your purpose. And I developed it essentially for students or very young people. I have sort of on a lark, I started to use it with people who are about to retire mm -hmm. and as well as mid, you know, successful people who are thinking of next chapter, however they define that next chapter. So I think purpose is something that is continually being reinvigorated. We need to think about it. And I wrote a piece recently about how purpose can change. And it was sparked to me by Elliot Ackerman, who is a combat Marine combat veteran, did multiple tours in Iraq, and is also an eloquent writer, very powerful writer. And he said that coming back from combat, close combat in the situation, he said, you know, you are never as alive as you are in extreme duress. 
And we hear this a lot. And this is why so many veterans have trouble uh, adjusting to the real world. So you know what you, when you're in extreme duress, say combat, whatever, you know what your purpose is. You know what your goal is. You know it's you and your mates and together. It's that unit cohesion. That is right. what's going to get you. Yeah. So when you come home, what's going to happen? Well, you got to find another purpose. For Ackerman, it's his writing. He's an, an, an eloquent writer. And I <clears throat> also talked to a colleague of mine, um, Shannon Polson, who herself is a veteran, but a, a gifted author. And she talked about you know, how strongly purpose is driven within the military. But once you separate, you need to discover it for yourself. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us is that some of us may have a purpose, which is lifelong. I, I cite my father. My father said he knew from the time he was four years old, he wanted to be a physician. And he was, and he was very successful and very happy at doing it. That's not true for everyone. And so, but we need to find what is it, what's our motivator? What gets us up in the morning? What do we want to achieve? And so I think we're continually exploring and thinking about purpose. And for me, I have reinvigorated it because I've merged it with something else, which is where I want to hang my hat now. And that's the topic of grace. And so when I work with people, I help them lead with greater purpose and more grace. And the two are hand in hand. So, I, I love that. Now, do you think, John, that uh, like others, have you gone through sort of this contemplative moment over, you know, the uh, last couple of years of a pandemic to find a way in which to reinvigorate and maybe even uh, redefine sort of your sense of purpose? And if so, do you see that happening with other organizations and other leaders having maybe to go through this exercise as well? Well, in a way, it's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it as it pertains to myself, um, but yes and no. Did I do it during the pandemic? Not exactly. But what I did was, because I hit upon the topic of grace in 2018 and published a book about it, and I had been exploring the topic of grace for quite some time, um, but I actually written about it, but not extensively. So when the pandemic hit, um, I did take it, and you'll see in, over my shoulder, there's a poster for a book called Grace Notes, yeah. which is my newest little book. And it's about, it's a, a section, excuse me, a selection of reflections on what we were experienced during that first year of the pandemic. So yes, that was my year of reflection and, and thought, but it was building upon a foundation of grace that I had established previously, if you will. Fantastic. Well, in that sort of reflection of, of grace and purpose and kind of rethinking John, if you will, you're always building upon yourself. You're such a gem of an example for people who could look towards someone who does both um, ingest all kinds of literature and thinking to redevelop yourself. And you put that in your writing and you have all these great examples and stories, illustrious as they are, of others doing the same thing. One of the topics you keep coming back to uh, I find is connection and community. And so I wanted to ask you, so what, what do you believe we're getting right these days about that sense of community and the connections um, perhaps we need uh, to create and foster within it? And then the flip side, of course, John, is what, what's not going well in your estimation in terms of building out that community and connection? Excuse me, I'm fighting a cold here, so I apologize to the audience for my occasional coughing. Uh, no excuses for if my thoughts don't make any sense. That's just <laughs> me. <laughs> um, so I think that uh, I think very much the pandemic accent 
accented the need for community. Um, and I think I, because of isolation, because of separation, and I'm, uh, my new forthcoming book will be out next year is called Grace Under Pressure, Leading Through Challenge and Crisis, mm -hmm. and it, uh, change in crisis. And it focuses on, the sub-theme is community. And so I like to think of a workplace as a place of community. You know, um, the sociologist Robert Putnam wrote a book, well, I think a couple of decades ago called Bowling Alone, which is about the isolation that so many people feel. He's since come up with some new thoughts and then read, not read, another thought so that community is coming together. And so, uh, so people are uh, looking for that connectedness and community can be, can be at work. It can be, of course, in your, uh, if, uh, for those who are faith-based in their faith, uh, can volunteer organizations, you know, whatever. And, and you create, can create community with your friends. And then um, people who've known each other and worked together and things for decades, there is a true community there. So I think it's, it's simple human nature. We are <laughs> animals who... <laughs> Excuse me. We are animals who crave the um, the connection of others that you don't get from a video screen. Um, although I do think that video uh, can foster that connectedness. I feel I have some with my colleagues on 100 Coaches. We've established some very strong bonds and um, and and you know we're reinforced it through video chat, if you will. So. So community is there, people want it, there's a hunger for it, and there's a recognition of it. And I think what the pandemic did was open the door that it's okay to talk about it. Now, so what's missing? Well, what's missing is community. So I'm not playing mind games, it's just that we haven't done it enough. Um, and uh, a uh, wonderful author that I respect, uh, Christine Parath, has written a wonderful book called Mastering Community. And she talks about creating community at work. And it can be simple, just affinity groups, that type of thing. You know, we've known them, you know, people who bowl or golf or whatever, but also special interests kind of thing, volunteer organizations within the structure of an organization. All of those things foster community. I think the sense is that we're not here alone. And I think the greatest sense of, and this gets back to purpose, the greatest sense of purpose is the fulfillment of doing something for someone else, you know, and uh, and others working for a cause greater than ourselves is what bonds us together, but also helping others because we want to. Mm. I love it. Also, I love you brought up uh, Christine Porath, friend of the show. And for those listening or watching, you can catch her episode um, from her most recent book uh, here on Leadership Now. Christine is an awesome Georgetown University professor. Uh, love her to bits. That's my, my alma mater. Oh, uh, there you are. <laughs> well, so. okay. So in that sense of, uh, I have to ask it, John. So in sense of community and connection as organizations, whether it's people in culture, HR teams, or the C-suite wrestle with, you know, that flexible work equation, how often ought we be back face-to-face -face in the office versus allowing that flexibility to work from home or wherever. What's your take these days on, um, you know, one of the results, I suppose, of the pandemic is that almost existential um, analysis that each of us have made to say, well, what, 
what do I want to be doing with my life when it comes to how much time should I be commuting, spending in the office? And there's been some serious conversations, I think, in, in family right. homesteads about what that means. So where, if you put your uh, hat on that you're the senior leader of the organization, where do you stand in terms of the culture when it comes to community face-to-face versus, as you say, like, you know, virtual connections are, are necessary as well? Well, it's funny. I'm going to tell you a real secret you can't share with anybody. But if you're a senior leader and you're wrestling with this question, this is top secret information. All right. Talk to talk to your employees, (laughs) you know, ask them what they want. Physical proximity is not necessary for community. Um, if think, for example, just think of a church. Uh, we go once a week or something, whatever, or faith groups and, and uh, volunteer activities. You're not together five days a week, 40 hours a week. No, but you still consider yourself part of a community. I do believe in physical proximity, very much so. We, as I said, we're not wired totally to electronics. So, but and and you have to determine who it, what does work mean to you? What is it you want to do, and what is meaningful? And so, lots of organizations are figuring out this. And one size does not fit all. Um, uh, a woman I've introduced, a thought leader I've inter- uh, interviewed a couple of times is. Um, Callie uh, Williams-Yost, and she talks a lot about flexibility. She's a futurist in the workplace and has been doing it for 20 years. And she's talking about the flexible workplace. And she said something two years ago to me or whatever. She goes, you know, this is not new. It's this pandemic has simply accelerated the process. So we're not going to be going back to, you know, uh, the huge workplaces, I think, unless it's a factory environment or something like that. And that's a whole other equation, which hasn't been adequately addressed yet. But um, it's so each organization, each team needs to discover where it needs to be and why it needs to be and go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so I don't think the work from anywhere is a fad. Um, There may be dictates that if you want to rise through the organization, then I think your physical presence is more more in demand. But as you said, something very, very important, uh, the commuting distance. I had uh, last clients last year um, that I worked with, and they worked in a very congested city, or I mean, a sprawling city. And, you know, commutes were um, significant. I mean, people, their employees were commuting two hours a day. They're not unhappy about not doing that. (laughs) So, Trying to bring them back to work five days a week is a losing proposition. Um, and so it's a different equation. So. Fantastic. I want to segue slightly into some uh, questioning for you and thoughts, I suppose, better, uh, better way to describe this. Um, you've written about um, head, heart, and spirit. And so I wanted to unpack what you mean by head, heart, and spirit, but I wanted to actually flavor the conversation a little bit with the fact that Today's leaders, today's individual employees, like there's this sense of overly busy, distracted, win at all costs, do more with less mindsets, John, that seems relatively pervasive still, even in a post-pandemic world uh, in our organization. So how does head, heart and spirit relate to what seems to be the the norm um, of how people are operating? Well, I think if we take a step back to look at the two different disciplines, it's management and leadership. They are entwined 
You cannot succeed one without the other. Leadership is aspirational. It's focused on the human, uh, the connections, the, the, the wanting to become, the goal-oriented. Management is about administration, about getting things done. It is not necessarily a human-engineered system, although it's developed, of course, by humans, yeah. but it's more impersonal. But it's at, it is the discipline of an organization. And if you want to know what an organization without discipline is, well, you look at startups that fail. <laughs> so that's what happens. So taking a step back, heart ahead, I meant, is the mind, the cognitive, the, you know, connect with it. The heart is how you feel, your emotions. The spirit is, uh, is there a higher purpose? Is there something that motivates? What is it that drives you? What gets you up in the morning? So you can take each one of those in a level. Um, and, you know, you can't succeed without thinking clearly, nor and you and can you succeed in business without having emotion? Oh, yeah. And I think we've seen <laughs> quite a few people who have. Um, and so um, that is. But, you know, now more and more, especially younger workers, Gen Z, perhaps, uh, and Gen, Gen Y, uh, millennials, um, hey, they're looking for more. They're looking for connectedness. They're looking for community. And you want to deliver it to them. And so and it's a trade off between, you know, what works and what doesn't. And it starts with the idea of, of listening, 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 and then looping back. What have you learned? And, um, and, and developing things, you know, there's a, a term that uh, I heard from a, a, a co-creation. Yeah. Uh, a colleague of mine, Terry Jackson, talks about this, where organizations, leader and followers or employees develop the solutions together. And that's, you know, kind of good, solid team building anyway. But it's enfranchising people, letting them know that they make a difference. And the most important thing is listening, as I said, but also looping back, you know, and soliciting ideas. Because if you don't loop back with it, it's like I come to you, Dan, and I say, hey, Dan, what do you think about this? And then um, you don't hear anything and go, well, what was that all about? You know, I need to come back and tell you, Dan, you had a really great idea, but I want to let you know, we're not going to do your idea because we're going to do X, but I want to know, I still value you on the team and I need your contributions. And I'm going to come to you again for other ideas. I'm looping you back. I'm making you feel that you are part of the organization. You are connected and you are part of the community. So, What two, two concepts I think related to this that again, you've written extensively about in, in, in articles and books and columns and you're speaking you know, uh, is humility and dignity. And so what I wanted to ask you, John, is today, you know, in today's age of, of leadership, well, how important is being that um, humility-fueled leader to achieve dignity at work for the team? Like, tell me the, I guess, the relationship between humility and dignity at work. Well, that's a good question. I'd say they're absolute. However, can you can you be arrogant and you can you be um, treat people poorly? Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. And we know some very successful organizations that do it, and um, and so uh, you can get away with it. But you'd never touch the never touch hearts. And so humility as it's not. 
Humility is not a weakness. It's actually a strength. It's an it's ability to, and you know this from your work, you know, when you, you're inviting people into the tent with you, and what are your ideas? I don't have all the ideas. Yeah. And if the boss has all the ideas, well, you're working for the wrong guy, you know, <laughs> um, so, or gal. And so you want to bring people to me. Humility is, is and, and I'm glad you focus on dignity because that is so important, treating people with respect. And what does respect mean? It begins with looking at somebody with an open heart and giving them maybe the benefit of the doubt. But dignity is also deeper than that. It's the dignity of the work. You know, it's what you do. And we see this in charged organizations where people, are working toward joint purpose. And, you know, there's a, a story in a healthcare organization, and I live in Southeast Michigan, that um, they hired some folks, uh, I mean, brought in ideas from, uh, from I'm sorry, uh, Ritz Carlton about service. And an explanation of that was the, the janitorial crew. Okay, that's a tough job. But they, they talked to people, I'm not taught people and live the example of, I'm not just cleaning up the mess. I'm keeping this place antiseptic. And what does that mean? Lower mortality and morbidity. I am helping people be safe, you know, and every job has that kind of thing. And now every job doesn't have a universal purpose, but we as individuals do. So why am I working uh, at my job, whatever, retail or factory, whatever. Well, I'm providing for my family. I and That is my purpose. That's what I'm doing. So I can enable my children, my spouse, whatever, whoever it is, to um, have the life they want, and I'm going to help contribute to that. So, you know, we not quote knowledge workers get wrapped up in purpose, but it, it filters down to different kinds of um, areas. And so we you can't get too highfalutin about it, to use a famous or uh, to use that big word. <laughs> so do you think that's wonderful, John? Do you think there's a, um, a correlation between dignity and purpose then? Meaning is dignity almost like an outcome of purpose if the leader creates the culture in so much as that no matter who that is and the worker um, hierarchy, whether it's the, as you say, sort of the, the custodial service people um, all the way up to a C-suite, is dignity coming as a result of that culture that allows people to fulfill that sense of purpose, if you will, duty of care even uh, in what they do as a role? Absolutely. I, I don't know that I had the link of the two, but you're right. And I'm thinking of examples of, of senior leaders, of CEOs that I have experienced, had close contact with or coached or spoken to or interviewed, whatever. And yeah, they all have that ability to connect to other people. And why? Because they focus on them as human beings. And so often we hear this about leaders that so-and-so makes you feel as if you, when he's or she is talking to you, you're the only person in the world. What's yeah. that? That's a form of dignity, you know? And entertainers can do this. And, you know, a, a secret to the great entertainers, <clears throat> when they're on stage, it's all about the audience. And, you know, it's not about them. It's about the audience. It's helping that audience enjoy their performance for an hour and a half, whatever it is. You know, I want to take them away and I will give them an experience. That is dignity of work. And that's also the dignity of respecting my audience, my customer, you know. Um, and so I think they're part intertwined too. But, you know, dignity, but <clears throat> also I'm, I like to think of dignity as 
the work itself. You know, there is purpose in that. You need to do what you do so that to build upon it, but the, without these elements of whatever that is, everything in a corporation working or company or organization working together, we're not going to achieve the outcomes that we so choose. And so everyone has a role to play in that. And that's where I think managers um, uh, need to communicate, communicate, communicate. Talk about how important, link what you do in your job to the greater whole, to what, and that is often lacking. But when you do it and do it consistently, that makes a sense. That is one of the secrets of Ritz Carlton, because I work with folks like that. And they have, and I talked, complimented them on their service. They go, you don't know how hard that is. And they weren't patting themselves on the back. But what they were talking about is bringing people and training them, educating them, the whole thing, and then empowering them to treat customers the way they're expected at that role. That takes constant communication, constant reinforcement, conversation, and support to enable them to do that job. So wonderful illustrative example. Thank you, John. Okay. My uh, penultimate question before we find out where we can find out more about you, um, you have, uh, it seems in the writing that um, you've put out there and at least what I've read over the years, you're a sports fan and you're using <sighs> sports uh, as a metaphor, if not illustrative case studies at times to demonstrate some of the leadership uh, traits and behaviors that you believe are warranted in certain situations. So I was just wondering, how, what, do you have an example or what favorite examples to share that sort of illustrates like this is the John Baldoni way of leadership that uh, you might surmise for us? Well, thank you. And my mind's gone drawing a blank because I've picked on it. There's so many different things. <laughs> I've you know, written about Tom Brady too many times. And the reason <laughs> because he, I, live at, you know, I live in Ann Arbor and he played at the University of Michigan and I saw him quarterback here, but he has some, he's an exceptional person. The sport that I link to most often in writing is baseball and why professional baseball. Uh, and why do I do that? It's because um, there, it's the closest thing to life. I mean, the players are together for eight to nine months, you know, and they do this every day or 162 games, which is too many, but that's the thing. And so a manager is a man. We call him the manager, not a coach, but he's, you know, he is really like a middle manager anywhere. And, and so it's understanding these 25 guys on the team, getting them to work together, stroking them when they, you know, kicking them. Uh, uh, the behind when they need it, but getting them to work together, getting them to believe in themselves when they go having a stroke, uh, having um, a, um, a a slump or whatever. And baseball is also that it's a one, it's a set, it's a team game. Yes, of course, but it's a one-on-one -on -one game, pitcher versus hitter, pit, I mean, fielder catching the ball, uh, pitcher throwing the ball, and it's it's a uniform action. Excuse me, one-on-one -on -one action, which so often happens in life or in you know corporate world in organizational world, we're working independently. Yeah, we're part of a team, but we're working independently. So I think baseball is the one that links to me and it has this gloried history. You know, it's we've been playing professional baseball since 1869. That's a long time. Almost, I think, is almost about the same time as English football. So and so I've been around a while. So Amazing. Well, I love that. Uh, John, you're, you're a gem. Can't wait to read book 16. So tell us more where we can find out information about you and possibly your next book. Well, uh, the, um, 
my website is the best place. It's johnbaldoni.com. And, um, and there's information there. I'm just seeding information already on the book itself. I have a course called Leading Through Change and Crisis, which will be launching very shortly. And you can find that on my courses page in my website. So that's where, and of course, all my books are on Amazon. So that's it. Amazing. Well, thank you for this, uh, joining me on Leadership Now. And uh, as a sidebar note, uh, I hope uh, to, to visit with you at one of Marshall's sessions uh, in Nashville in the summer. It's great to see you here on the show. Uh, thank you, Dan. Um, as I said, I'm a big fan of yours, and it's an honor and a privilege to speak to you. Amazing. All right, everyone. John Baldoni. Go visit him, johnbaldoni.com. And uh, do check out any of the 15 and soon to be 16 books that John has. He is uh, an exquisite writer and thinker of all things leadership.